Well, it's good to be here this morning and fill in the pulpit. I always love the opportunity to share God's Word. You know, I get to do it probably about three times, three or four times a year. And, uh, you know, it is kind of a challenge to come up with a topic, you know, when you have the whole Bible in front of you and you get a couple weeks. It's much easier when you're going through a sermon series and you, can, uh, you know what you're going to be preaching on uh, next week. I'm reminded, too, uh, it was a year ago this Sunday that I preached, and there were only five people in the audience. It was my wife and two of my children, and I think Brad was here. I think Jennifer was here as well, and because uh, it was the first week that we did not have uh, attendance here at the service, and we went fully uh, live stream. Boy, we've come a long way, haven't we, in a year. It's hard to believe it has been a year. But it's good. I like it much better when there are people here to preach to. It's a little of a challenge <laughs> to preach <laughs> to an empty room. But uh, I'm so glad you are here uh, this morning. The title of my sermon this morning is The Winter is Past. And our text is from Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. How many of you are glad that uh, it's springtime? Huh? And that winter is over, winter is past. Yesterday was the first day of spring, and so here we are. I would ask that you would join with me in the reading of God's word as I read. Again, I'll be reading from the ESV. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our salvation, our hope. And we thank you for your holy word that you've given us. I pray now, Lord, that you would speak clearly to our hearts the message that you have for us today, that, Lord, that my words would be your words, that my thoughts would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, that it would encourage us and challenge us as we hear what your Spirit has to hear and say. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know I'm glad it's spring, you're glad it's spring, winter is gone, winter is past. You know, in Florida, it's a little different. I grew up in Pennsylvania. There was definitely a very uh, sharp contrast between winter and spring up there. And I lived five years in Nebraska, and if anyone ever been out there, their winters were very brutal. Now, Florida, the winters, you know, change aren't, aren't too dramatic, but we love it when spring time comes. In today's passage, we're going to look at the groom, or most believe King Solomon, 
tells his bride, who we call the Shulamite woman, that the winter is past. And we're going to look at this. This book is really a book of poetry, love poetry between a husband and wife. And I have to admit to you, I am not the poetic type, as my wife will attest to. I have a hard time interpreting poems sometimes, and if it, especially if it doesn't rhyme. You know, poems have to rhyme for me to make sense. But this is indeed a beautiful book about poetry. Now, most scholars believe it's, it's a collection of poems, and sometimes the boundaries from one uh, chapter to another are not clearly seen. And it's, if you've ever read the Song of Solomon, you will see that there are many, many metaphors in it, which you see sometimes consistent in poetry. And some of the metaphors in this particular book are probably outdated and would not be used today. For example, if one of you young men told a young lady that her belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies, you would probably get smacked. <laughs> because, you know, the first thing you would, they would think is what? You saying I'm fat? <laughs> or how about this one? Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Ladies, does that do anything for you? But we got to understand it in the context of when it was written. And back in the day, back when it was written, most people would understand that was very poetic and romantic language. And you know, there are a lot of other metaphors that are a little more erotic in the Song of Solomon that I will not mention today because of younger people in the audience, plus I don't want you to get distracted. You know, the ancients recommended for the Jewish men, they did not read the book of Song of Solomon until they came to the age of 30 or were married. Because you see in that book, the words are very powerful. And it is a story between a love, between a man and a woman. And there is much that we can learn about uh, marriage, about relationships in that book. And we'll touch on that a little bit. But there's more into the Song of Solomon that I think that we can draw out of it. Uh, in his book, Recovering the Song of Songs as Christian Text, Liam Gallagher says this, but in the history of interpretation, both in Jewish circles as well as Christian circles, the Song of Solomon has been understood to be about God and his relationship to his people Israel and to the church. Interestingly, in the first century, uh, and there was a, a Hebrew council of Jemina, and there was a rabbi of Eka stated this, quote, No one in Israel ever disputed about the Song of Songs. The whole world is not worth the day on which Song of Songs was given to Israel. For all the scriptures are holy, but the Song of Song is the holy of holies. And you see that in scripture. We say, Lord of Lords. When you use those things twice, it's showing the significant. And they look at it as... The Song of Songs. Now this song affirms two things. It affirms the intimate relationships of human love and marriage are important and significant. But it also teaches us that we must see beyond those to a spiritual higher significance that's in the text. Its theme is love. The love that is from God because we know God is love. Yes, it is a love song between a man and a woman. But that is only where it begins. It leaps from there to become a song of the relationship between Christ and his church. 
Most of you are aware, and for those that were in Sunday school this morning, we even touched upon it, about the figure of the bride and the bridegroom is used uh, very frequently in Scripture. For example, in Isaiah, the Old Testament, it says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. It is used of the church in the New Testament. And we'll be getting to that when Joe gets through his study in Ephesians. It says, Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And when the Apostle Paul speaks of the divine institution of marriage, he says, for this cause shall a man leave his wife, or excuse me, leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Therefore, this delightful figure of the sweet and intimate marriage relationship is used throughout Scripture to set forth our union and communion with God, the eternal lover of our souls. And when we read this book in the context of the whole Scripture, it forcefully communicates the intense, intimate relationship that God enjoys with his people. So let's open up, look at the words here a little bit before we get into some application. So we see here the bride is speaking about her beloved. It also appears that she might be dreaming or thinking about it in her mind's eye. Because in the words of her beloved, he says what? Arise, my love. And she restates these words, if you notice, at the beginning and at the end of the text we read today. The groom, or the king, he comes running to her, leaping over mountains like a young gazelle or a stag. He is fast. He is excited to see his bride. You know, this morning we read the ESV version. If I was reading the Marvin Gaye or Diana Ross version of verses 8 and 9, I'd be saying this. Because, baby, there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. That's the same exact message that is being sent here as the young man is trying to get to the love of his life. And for you that, you know, when you were dating or you got, before you got married, remember that love? You would travel great distances and it seemed, oh, like it wasn't that long at all. You know, I don't really much speed much in the car. I ask my wife and kids. I'm the slow driver in the family. But when Trish and I were dating, and I lived in uh, Fort Walton Beach, this was 21 years ago, and she lived in Gainesville, and we'd sometimes meet halfway, Tallahassee, or I'd go all the way. I probably drove a little bit faster. Because why? I was in love. I was excited. I was anticipating to see her. And that's the picture here that you see of this, of this of groom running, going across any mountain, any impediment, anything in the ways. Husbands, I ask you, do you still get excited about seeing your wives? Do you run after them? Now, you may need some oxygen. <laughs> you may not be as fast as you used to be, but we still need to pursue our wives. We still need to go after them. And wives, you look forward, you anticipate your husband coming home to see him again. Many of you have been in the military or in the military, and you know the distances caused when you go off on a deployment. 
or a remote assignment, and you're separated for a long period of time, and you long for that day to be together. That's the picture that we see here. You can learn much in this particular passage about love and about marriage. Notice also that he, he gazes at her intently. Now, I know some of you read that and you think, that just looks kind of creepy. He's gazing at her through the lattice and through the window. But she is repeating this in her mind or in her dream and hearing that because she likes seeing him. It's as if, you know, in the old movies where the boy would throw the rock up on the window, you know, to get the girl's attention so that she would come to the window. That's the picture here. However, there are impediments. There is a window between them. There is a lattice between them. There are barriers between her and him. First, he has to get over the mountains and the hills. Then he's standing behind the wall. And then there's the lattice and the windows obstructing his view. To me, this would suggest metaphorically that there was some distance and some time between them. She, at this moment, was not able to enjoy her intimate relationship with him, which she had previously done. And you see, if you read chapter 1. And you know, that's the way it is with love sometimes. There are periods of absence, periods of separation, periods of longing. For you that have been married know the honeymoon can't last forever, right? You would not have enough energy in life to live a honeymoon life your entire life. It just Your whole mind's consumed with each other, right? You're just focused on it. That is not reality. There are times where there is separation. There are times where there is quietness. There are times where things don't always go the way we think they should go. Then notice he speaks to her. Again, she's either dreaming or repeating what the lover is saying. What's he tell her? He tells her, wake up. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away. Let's get out of here. That's the message. Let's get out of here. Winter has passed. It's over. It's springtime. The winter rains are over. It uses winter rains there. In the Middle Eastern winters, a lot different than our winters, but the winter season was the rainy season. And he's saying the winter rains are over. Look around you. Flowers are appearing everywhere. It's a time of singing. Listen to the turtle doves. Just stop and listen to the music. The fruit trees are ripening. We see the figs coming to ripeness. It's a time for fruitfulness. The vines are blossoming flowers. Stop. Smell it. Spring is everywhere. Now, you know, when you are asleep, you're kind of oblivious, right, to your senses. And so here she is sleeping, maybe, or just dreaming. But in that picture, that metaphor, she's oblivious to her senses. She doesn't see the beauty of spring. She doesn't hear the turtle dove. She doesn't smell or taste the smells and tastes of spring. Spring is a time of fertility, and thus the image of spring in these verses contribute to the picture of a rendezvous, an intimate rendezvous. But the dreaming and the barrier suggest a coldness, a sluggishness. She's losing sight of what's going on around us. Sometimes absence or feeling distance from a loved one of God brings what? Melancholy, right? 
But notice he repeats the refrain for emphasis. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. To be honest, you know, as I mentioned, I am not much of a poet, but that's some pretty good poetry. It's captivating. You see the excitement, the enthusiasm of the groom. Her beloved makes every effort to get her to wake up to his love and beauty that it entails. Why is it that springtime is considered the time for love? Well, there's newness, freshness, there's illumination of everything outside that is beautiful, and there's a transition from winter. Some of you may have heard the song uh, by John Paul Young, Love is in the air, everywhere I look around, love is in the air, every sight and every sound. So it's going to go from what appears to be like shades of gray and darkness to beautiful, magnificent colors of spring. Kind of reminds me, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was uh, The Wizard of Oz. I love that movie. On every year, we'd watch it. But there's that scene with Dorothy and Toto, right, in the house from Kansas, and it's all in black and white. And it lands, right, in Munchkin land. And as soon as she opens up and comes out, there's that contrast from the black and white to the beautiful, rich colors and sounds. There's a drastic change. That's the picture here. All right, so that's the story. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You could dig into it a little bit more and pull things out. But what I'd like to do this morning is take a little liberty for some application and pull from this love poem and put it in our context with our relationship with God and with Christ. First, we must recognize that we all go through winters, right? Part of life. Not only the physical winter, but spiritual winters, emotional winters, relational winters sometimes. And winters can be dark. They can be dreary. Cold not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastic 3.1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. You're either in winter now, you're leaving winter going into spring, or you're getting ready to go through winter. It's a part of life. Your winter may be chronic sickness, relational difficulties, financial troubles, hurt from those that are close to you. For some, it may be this whole COVID experience. How many would like to get rid of this COVID experience, right? Seems like a winter in many ways. Our life, our way of life has been changed dramatically. Sin and guilt can cause a winter experience. We feel distance from God. We feel that everything around us appears dim. Our relationship with him is cold and with others. There is no excitement for the things of God. We don't hunger and thirst for righteousness like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the Shulamite bride, she experienced intimacy and excitement in her relationship in chapter 1, but now she is separated from him, feeling distant from her lover or husband. However, she sees in her mind's eye, she even knows the words that he spoke to her in the past. But there's still, I think, it's portraying a distance between them. Winters are a reality of life. Some are longer than others. 
If you live in Alaska, it's going to be much longer. I think most of us didn't think this pandemic and the resulting changes to our way of life would last so long. And we may not be completely out of the woods, though some things are looking promising. So what do we do? What do we do when we go through the winter in our lives? Well, when I look at this particular passage, I remind myself that God loves us. Did you notice the groom addresses the bride as my love, my beautiful one? And he does it twice for emphasis. Just a few weeks back, as Joe opened up his study in Ephesians, we see in the first chapter of chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, In love, God, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Notice that language of love. He chose us. He adopted us. He brought us in the blessed of the beloved. Our Lord sees us as his beautiful bride. Remember that when you're struggling with shame and guilt, Satan, the great accuser, will continually work to tear you down, speak badly about you. Don't listen to him. Listen to the words of our Savior, my love, my beautiful one. The scripture is replete with promises of God's love, even when we fall and fail. I love the promise from Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Never ceases. Or how about Romans chapter 8? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you see in that passage when his love, he gazes on us. We are special. We are children. We are his bride. It's an a look of love and intent. I was thinking about this. So you that are parents, as she'd had even in the past, young children. You know, you go through a long day with your children and they're driving you crazy. And you're, you know, and you're just like, oh, I just want the day to end, right? And so you finally get the little ones in bed. And you say a prayer with them, sing a song, something, and all of a sudden, the lights go dim, and they fall asleep. And all that's on in the room is the nightlight. And you just look at their precious little faces, right? And you say, I don't care how bad the day was, you just love your children. You know that. That's right, Jackson and Reagan, even you in Madison, who may be watching. How much more does our Father gaze on us and look on us? Deuteronomy 31.10, <clears throat> Moses writes, talking about the nation of Israel, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. You know, the Lord sees us as the apple of his eye. Because he loves us, then I could remind myself that not only does he love us, but he comes to us, right? The groom comes fast, quickly, over everything to get to the bride. 
He's leaping over the mountains, over the hills like a gazelle. You know, I think of that picture of the prodigal son, right? When the young man finally comes to his wits end, his senses, he says, and he says, I'm going to go back to my father even though I, I will be a servant. And what happens? The father is out what? Looking, anticipating. And when he sees the son, does he just stand back and say, it's about time he got back? What's he do? He runs. And you know, if you understood the culture that time, he had to, they wore, you know, gowns and that. He had to lift up his gown. And here he's running through the neighborhood. And people are looking at him like, why would you even do this? Your son just took advantage of you. Because he loves the son. That's the love of the father. I had to teach Sunday school today, so I told him I had to keep my words few, you know, so my voice doesn't run out here. We'll get through it. The Bible is full of God's promises about him coming to us. Let me just name a few of them. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. John 14, 26, 12, 46 says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Are you feeling the darkness of winter? He comes with his light to shine into your hearts. For the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And most of you know this, I love this. Jesus came that you may have life and life more abundantly. So as the king runs to his bride, Christ runs to us. He comes to us. He comes and you know one day he's coming back to get us for good. That blessed day, that day and it's a picture in Revelation of a wedding, right? He is going to come back. For his bride. To take his bride. To be with him. So not only does he come to us. But what else does he do? He speaks to us. Notice how the verse started off. The voice of my beloved. She hears him speaking. This is also repeated twice. For emphasis. You know the Bible is all about God speaking to us first. Even in our sin. But the Lord called the man Adam and he said to him, where are you? Adam and Eve sinned. Who came? God came first. He spoke. Where are you, Adam? God spoke to Noah, told him to build an ark to be rescued from pending judgment. God speaks to Abram out of nowhere. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. Moses, Moses. God speaks to Joshua. He speaks to Samuel. Remember, Samuel was having a dream. He spoke to Samuel. Speaks to David. He speaks to the prophets. Isaiah records, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. I love it in the Gospel of John. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Does it feel like winter for you today? Are you spiritually dry? He speaks, come to me and I will fill your thirst. You know, when we go through winter, we need to spend more time in God's word. We need to hear him speak. Our natural reaction is to do the opposite, right? When we're down, we're depressed, struggling, we don't feel close to God. Instead of opening, we say, oh, I can't open the Bible. It's kind of dry. Those are the very times he speaks to us. Because he loves us. Folks, he loves us. He comes to us running and leaping. He speaks to us his word. And his word brings hope. His word brings hope. Behold, the winter is past. It's springtime. Love breeds hope. Anticipation breeds hope. Look around you. New life is appearing. He says, look at the flowers. Hear the singing. Smell the fragrances of spring. My wife has jasmine planted outside of our bathroom window. You know, I wasn't experienced with jasmine up in Pennsylvania. But, and then when it comes to fruition, and it, you just open up the window and it just fills the, the room with a pleasant smell. It's a smell of spring, a smell of life. What's he telling her? He's telling her, you need to wake up. Stop looking at your plight. Look around you. Notice the changes. And the more she will gaze on him in love for her, everything around her begins to brighten. I love the promise. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a time for beauty. Flowers appear on the earth. We need to stop and smell the roses. All right, I had to get prepared for this sermon yesterday, so I did yard work. <laughs> now, the only thing I don't like about springs in Florida, there's darn oak trees. You know, in the Pennsylvania, all the leaves fall in the fall. That's why they call it fall, and then you rake them up. But not in Florida, you know, you've got to rake twice a year. So I'm out there raking oak leaves from the, from the winter. And, you know, I just took time. I said, well, maybe I need, my wife plants a lot of plants, got a lot of flowers, and some of the flowers are starting to bloom. And so I start looking at the flowers. And there was one, you know, at first glance, it's just a bunch of little white flowers, you know, that are all, I forget the name of it. <clears throat> it's on a bush, kind of a plant. <clears throat> and I get up real close, and then I notice when I look, and I've never really looked that close, they're each individually little flowers clustered together. And each one of them are marvelously made. And they're so symmetrical and beautiful. But I never took the time to stop and see them. <clears throat> That's the way God's creation is for us. He's made things in beautiful and meticulous detail for us, right? The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the Bible says. I know we have some master gardeners in our church, and you love spring. You love the meticulous detail and diversity of many different plants and flowers in your garden. We need to cry out with David. The psalmist says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. And let me just give you a little, okay, this, this is extra extra, no, no charge, okay. A practical application. Sometimes when you're going through difficult times, you just need to go outside, right? You just need to go outside and look around. You need to feel the sunshine. 
need to look at the, I love, I tell my kids, I love the, the green pine needles in the dark, the blue sky and the sun and they glisten. And we need to sometimes just get outside and experience what God has given us. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So God not only speaks through his word to us, he speaks through nature and creation. And sometimes you just need to get outside. I remember vividly, some of you know my story, I, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with lung cancer. Had to have a, my, my lung removed. And, and it was wintertime. You know, if you're going to have the worst possible time, it was in January. And then after I had my lung removed, uh, I waited a couple weeks and began chemotherapy. And you know, for you that have been through chemotherapy, it's not fun. And so, <clears throat> I'm in a winter. My family's in a winter time. But I remember one of the few things that would encourage me is when I would, especially when it came about March, I'm in the midst of chemo, and I didn't feel like it, but I would go outside and go to the playground with my kids and just see the sunshine, <clears throat> experience the life of springtime. It was healing. It was healing to the soul. <clears throat> and that's what the writer's trying to say, honey, it's springtime out there. It's time to move on. It's time to go. Come, come away with me. It's a time of singing. Hear the voice of the turtle dove. I still remember too as a kid and we had a big maple tree in our yard and, and we had these birds in there all the time. I was going to do the whistle, but I don't know if I could whistle with my voice right now. My wife says don't do it, but <laughs> but my brother and sister are going to probably listen to this and they'll recognize. So with the birds, they went Anybody ever hear those birds? What kind are those? We need to hear the sounds of creation, of nature. We need to sing. Sometimes we don't feel like singing. But it's springtime, winter has passed. Sometimes even though you don't feel like it, we need to just sing. And I think I talked about this before. I think it was in Sunday school not too long ago. And we were going through the book of Colossians about singing with our hearts, spiritual psalms and songs. You know, one of the things we did with our children <clears throat> growing up is every night we'd pray with them and then we would sing songs, about four or five songs. And they have them now. I could have them sing them to you. They probably wouldn't do it in public, but they, it's in their head, you know, <clears throat> singing. But one of the songs we used to always sing, I love, in my heart, there rings a melody. There rings a melody of heaven's harmony. In my heart, there rings a melody. It rings a melody of love. That's the song that they're talking about. There's songs in the hearts, a melody that comes from the Lord. It's a melody of love. It's a time for singing. It's a time for smelling. It's a time for enjoying all that God has given us. You know, <clears throat> our Savior went through winter darkness, 
cold. Separation. When he took upon our sins at Calvary. He was rejected by men and God. Matthew records his crucifixion this way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sakbakthini, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Death, darkness, separation. That was the winter of all winters. And because he went through that winter, he will get us through our winters. Well, you know the rest of the story. We're going to celebrate it in a couple of weeks. His father called out to him and said what? Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come with me. And as the apostle Peter stated in that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Brothers and sisters, are you in winter? Are you feeling like winter this morning? Maybe drab, colorless in your relationship with the Lord, with others spiritually. Our Savior is calling out to you. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away. Hear his voice. Respond in faith. Let his Holy Spirit illumine your eyes. And perchance there's one in here this morning. You are dead in your sins and trespasses, as the Bible says. He said the same message to you. Arise, my love. Come away with me. My friends, winter is past. Springtime. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son did go through winter for us and that you give us springtime life in Christ. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not know you, I pray that you would open their hearts to the gospel, causing them to be born again to a living hope. And Lord, for those that may be struggling with one matter or another and feel down, I pray that they would just feel your love. They would hear in their ear, their spirit's ear, you calling out, saying, come away, the winter has passed. Lord, we know that we go through difficult times and sometimes there are struggles, but we know that you are with us. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you would just fill us with your encouragement and your love as only you can do. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.